Reveille, reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Oh, yeah. Buggery, buggery. Indeed, dogs. It is Friday. Uh, let me check the date here. Uh, February 1-9, 2021. And yes, this is Morning Combat. A no-J Friday out to you. And the nice orange background as your boy BC, the big beige one. CBS Sports Zone, Brian Campbell at the controls on this fine day. And the man seated next to me. No, he's not dressed like 1985 Rick Rubin on Halloween for any other reason than it's loose, it's Friday, it's ready to go. He's angry and he's bearded. It is CBS Sports' own Luke Thomas, the best in the world at what he does. Luke, you and I, you and I maybe maybe not getting along great this morning, but I'm ready to put it aside to put on one hell of a show today. I'm getting along just fine. It's just a true thing to stay to say. One of us is on time. One of us is not. That's that's all I'm pointing out. Hey, Luke, I was right here the whole time. Okay, I'm under. I am under the gun. Thanks to the great JMMA debacle that people think I'm a raging racist. I was told I don't have enough uh, people of color behind my wall. So I got Guillermo Rigand out here last minute, Luke. Okay, thank you, sir. Thank Against you. Nonito Donaire. Okay, yes, very good. Thank you. Okay, thank you. So take that, America and Japan. Anyway, we got a great, a great show for you today. Setting the stage for the weekend to come, which of course UFC Fight Night, a great heavyweight bout on top. Showtime Championship Boxing. AB is back in a triple header. We're actually going to... Uh, show some live images over there at Mohegan Sun as the two main eventers step to the scale. We're also going to set the stage for a Mexican war this Saturday on ESPN on the box side. Uh, Luke, um, a little bit of business, of course. Uh, hey, why don't you try Showtime for 30 days? There was never, never a better time to do that than right now. Go to Showtime.com, start your 30-day free trial, and because of the big business at hand, right, Bellator MMA exclusively to air on Showtime, your next six months, $4.99. Can you beat that, bro? Okay, you couldn't beat that with a bat. Hammer can't touch that, so get on there, support what we do. Also, um, I want you to want me wearing this MK merch, so why don't you buy one for yourself, hats, tumblers, cock rings all right i take that last part back but store.show.com is the home you want to be dressed like bill and jen in their rv somewhere out west you get our merch that's great please like this video please subscribe to what we're doing here three live shows per week monday wednesday friday so much bonus in between from luke thomas's live chat on thursdays to all the great interviews that you can check out right now on our youtube page our social information is below and uh, Luke, I am just fired up today. I'm feeling good. My roads are covered in snow. I, you, you had something to say. Why don't you just say it? I, uh, I have breaking news of a certain kind. Um, Johnny Damon, you know Johnny Damon, famous baseball player, played for the yeah. Sox, and I think he played, he played for yeah, New York yeah. too. Yeah, um, he, he's, yeah, he's a he's a World Series hero, Luke. Okay. Yeah, he got arrested for DUI in Florida, which of course he did. Uh, and they, the picture of him, dude, is not flattering. Again, this is John Wall showing up for the NBA Summer League or whatever it was. And then someone in the comments writes, Johnny Damon looks like he owns a shop in Williamsburg that specializes in the making of artisanal flatbreads. <laughs> All right. All it's right. actually a pretty good thing. He looks terrible. He looks terrible. 
Good thing I'll we interrupted the, the great flow of this show for that breaking news. All right, Sorry, Russell it was Law. just funny. It was just Indeed, funny. Indeed, uh, Luke, I was about to uh, speak some honest and needed truth here. Look, uh, it's a tough time from COVID to isolation and depression, but I did want to shout out everybody in the uh, Texas central region of our country yes. who's going through uh, an, an, un, uh, an unwanted winter hell. A lot of people, no power, no water, cold as balls. So uh, we're, we're with you here. Uh, MK Care. If don't nobody else care. So shout out to that and everybody else. Uh, if this show, Luke, could provide somebody a corny laugh, okay, once in a while to get their mind off the real ish going on in the world, then job well done. Hey, Luke, there was a little bit of breaking news this week real quick. Uh, Bellator is going to kick off some rankings. They got this professional rankings board of top shelf elite media. I went up well. and down that... Well, I went up and down that list. I, I didn't see Luke Thomas on there at all. No, you certainly didn't. No one asked, and I would have said no had they asked. There's a debate to be had over whether journalists should be a part of it. I tend to think that they should not be, but, you know, not a hill that I'm going to die on one way or the other. The only thing that's kind of interesting is um, they're going to have a women's pound for pound, the only two divisions, so that's going to be a little bit unusual, I think, in the early stages, but it, maybe it. Maybe it tells the story about them wanting to do more women's divisions in the future. I guess we'll see. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that, listen, it's, here's the reality about it. It was probably an inevitability, given the growth of the organization and being on Showtime, that there was some order, orderliness about this. I tend to think that there should be consensus rankings that all promotions use rather than promotion by promotion because it tends to favor the promotion over the fighter. But I also tend to think that this was going to happen one way or the other. And um, here it is. All right. All right. I'll be a part of that group. Uh, we'll, we'll do it. All right. What, it's just, a, I mean, could it hurt anybody? It's just a bunch of freaking rankings. Who cares at the end of the day? But there is a certain level of, uh, you know, prestige with that. It kind of, I'm glad Bellator's doing it. Who cares? Whatever. Luke, I don't know. Let's get into this show. All right. All right. Thank you. I got Manich in my ear. Thank you, producer, sir. Uh, let's start off the show today. Looking ahead to this Saturday, Showtime Championship Boxing going to kick off a triple header Saturday night from the Mohegan Sun, 9 p.m. Eastern. Uh, this is a good-looking card, but the, the storyline that has taken over is the return of the notorious one. No, not Conor McGregor. Adrian Broner, the can man himself, back from a two-plus-year layoff following the lifeless pay-per-view loss to Manny Pacquiao. And back in what feels a lot like a, a get-well, let's see what he's got left at age 31. Let's see if AB can put the train back on the tracks against unbeaten Puerto Rican Giovanni Santiago. Luke, this was originally scheduled for a 140-pound main event in the last two days. Uh, the, the powers that be a little cryptic as to why, but it has been moved up to 147. You got a lot of I'm-not-surprised memes out there, but I did see some reporting from Dan Raphael of Fight Freaks Unite that it was not just Broner coming off the layoff, being a little bit too ambitious, thinking he can make 140. Santiago also going to benefit from this uh, move up in weight. Could be much ado about nothing if they both make 147 and we have a fight. We talked about the storylines coming in. I got an interview with AB that we played clips of the other day on Morning Combat. Let's talk about the fight here, and more specifically, AB the fighter. Uh, is it is it circus fights from here on out? Is it let's win a couple fights against guys we should be so we can get them back into a B-side role against another big name? Or can this man still put it together and, and make some things happen and, and fulfill the legacy? I don't know. To me, I would not look at the weight as an indication of where this is all headed. 
you're right. It was probably a little ambitious. He does appear to be in pretty good shape for what we know. I guess we'll see how everything looks on the scales today. But in general, I, I don't read too much into that other than, yeah, you know, it takes a, it takes to come back the right way, the really right way. It takes maybe more than just one fight um, to get into that kind of fight shape. So fine. No problem there. Um, he can fight at 147. But uh, they want to throw their life to Broner soon. The thing I'll say about it is this. He was saying yesterday at the press conference that he was looking for title fights against anyone who's got him. I tend to think that he's either A, interested in being that like really legit B-side, or may, maybe even A, capturing the, the belts themselves. Circus fights, though, I don't necessarily see as something he is eyeing at the moment. Well, he did tell me he would love to fight a Paul brother. He'd love to fight Floyd Mayweather oh, in an right? exhibition. He's a former four-division champion. Yeah, but how much, uh, of, that is just, back, how much so- of that is just the Bills talking, you know? Well, there are some rumors out there that with the, the, the legal things against him, he could use this money. Either way, he's back. He's a notorious one. He's going to step to the scales shortly. I believe we're going to go live to the Mohegan Sun in Connecticut, if I'm hearing right, Manich in my earball, uh, to check out this the suspense of AB and opponent Giovanni Santiago stepping to the scales for this 147-pound main event. That's the, uh, the 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 handsome Miguel Flores there, the the announcer Luke, the younger brother of uh, of Sweet Baby Ray. You see those lights at the bottom of the step and repeat. There's a blue one on the left, a yellow one or a white one in the middle, and then a red one at the right. We have stepped on those a number of times Many when they times. were used in the MK studio. Many times. Here comes unbeaten Giovanni Santiago. He's fourteen zero and one. Never fought outside the PR or the DR. Luke, this will be his U.S. debut. It's a tough debut, man. I went and uh, Mr. McGill needs to uh, pull his mask up a little bit, but um, I uh, I went online and looked for footage of Santiago. There's not a lot. There's like a, a, maybe a highlight reel and then like one other fight that the highlight reel is largely based off of. Um, I will say um, he looks fine, I guess, you know. D- well, a good opponent for a Broner for a comeback fight. Here he is. Look at AB, he shed a lot of weight. There was talk he had to shed 35 pounds in the past uh, three yeah. weeks to get to this level. I mean, he looks in shape. He looks pretty good. The abs are there for the Cincinnati mm-hmm. native as we await the weight. Do we have this, Manish? If we can get one person on the staff to be listening to the audio, they could tell us how much <laughs> these gentlemen weigh. Please, thank you. <laughs> I mean, he looks 147 to me. Anyway, uh, look, yeah, uh, you know, this is this is a get well, and, and AB needs this. This was the longest layoff of his career. This wasn't the original opponent. We had Ivan Redkoch rumored for most of last year. We had a uh, uh, Pedro Campa, the Mexican fighter who undergo who underwent a COVID 19 uh, uh, setback. So we're subbing in Santiago, but. You know, the, the stigma against A.B. at times, Luke, is that he doesn't throw enough punches, certainly not when he steps up to the super elite level. So could that open the door for Santiago to have some success? One thing I do like about A.B. is when he's in there with a, let's say, inferior opponent, he loves his power. He'll stand in the pocket and he'll trade. He'll look to counter big. So at the very least, love him or hate him, he looks in shape, he looks ready. Um, hopefully someone on our staff will tell us exactly 147 is the weight. Okay, Luke, the weight For is both over. both of them, yes. And the weight is under. So thank you very much. Uh, so, Luke, look, I asked AB about, you know, is this a step up and a setup? 
for you to come back and you know is, is Regis Progre Ruguru the big the big fish for you at 140 you know he wanted nothing to do with that sentiment thinks uh, Progre is not on his level I think he's talking more commercially right I mean that'd be a tough ass fight for him where he would be the underdog I'm interested to see not so much what what he has left because look I feel like even with two years off and getting fat in between and having many issues outside the ring I feel like we know AB's I mean he's got nine lives he's gonna be what he is he still has good hand speed he's a great counter puncher I like him so much better fighting below 147, though, because he's a little bit too in love with his power, and the super elites have a way of shutting him down by, by landing big shots. We saw Pacquiao do that. We saw Mikey Garcia do that. Uh, he's typically lost when he stepped up big, but if he's going to take it serious, I mean, his name alone, it does. It drives, right? He's a TMZ guy. He's one of those guys who 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 makes you watch, love him or hate him. So I am interested to see, will he get back into a title fight? Can he come out here and look good and do exactly what he has to do? Or to what we said in the beginning, you know, are we trying to make a Floyd exhibition fight? Is he going to fight Ben Askren? Or, you know, what, what the hell are we doing here? He uh, he has pretty significant financial difficulties um, to the point where if you watched, uh, there was a moment where he was speaking to a judge over, um, you know, how much he had owed for one of his indiscretions. I, I don't think it was about alimony or uh, child support. I think it was about debts from... Um, a civil suit that he had had and he had described a degree of financial perilousness that is unheard of for somebody who's not unheard of, but certainly surprising for somebody who has done the kinds of things in sports. He's done. I mean, you guy was a four weight world champion, right? I mean, he has done pretty impressive things and he is, I don't know. I don't know exactly his financial situation, but if what he told the judge was even remotely accurate, he needs this money, not even to just get, into a space where he can begin to accrue wealth, but still to pay off debts and probably another fight on top of that to pay off debts. Um, I don't know exactly what he's going to be paid, but we'll have to see. In any case, that's going to drive a lot of decision-making. But the one thing that will give him options, BC, at this stage against this opponent at this particular weight at this moment in time is just looking as good as possible. That doesn't mean, you know, blowing the guy out in a round necessarily, although maybe we'll see. But, you know, you want to get in there and you want to just put on a strong showcase. If you want to get drafted in the NFL, whether you go first round or second round or third round, you want to have a good pro day. You want to have a good combine. To me, that's what kind of this is. You want to just have a good showing where you look fleet of foot, you showcase good power. People are like, oh, right, Adrian Broner can be a smart fighter when he wants to be, and he can be slick and blah, blah, blah. And then from there, begin to build on that. He is still very much in arrears in his career, both financially and otherwise. And so this is about the process of repair. It's not that this one leads to the big pot of gold. It's He's got a little bit of work to do. Yeah, we're going to get to the UFC preview in just a second, but to close on sort of all things AB here, uh, as I mentioned before, the skills have never been the issue. I've actually always been barking to people that, you know, maybe his commitment at times is way off and he's getting into issues, but he's got a chin. He's got a bat. I mean, a lot of the skills are there. I need him to throw more punches against the better fighters. I need him to box more than he looks to fight, but we'll see uh, Dan Rayfield's reporting, Luke, to your point from the most recent uh, lawsuit in the Ohio case in the sexual uh, misconduct and missing court. He may owe upwards of 860,000. I believe I read. So with that, with the, with the large family, uh, as he's a father to many, uh, this He's going to need it. So there's still time. We'll see where he goes from here. Quickly, though, uh, to open that triple header, I like that 140-pound former lightweight champion Robert Easter Jr. going in there against Ryan Martin, who has just one defeat. That's an interesting fight. But, Luke, that Coleman 
sneaky good, right? Otto Valin, the heavyweight, the southpaw, who pushed Tyson Fury to the limit, caught him. Maybe could have been your lineal heavyweight champion had the ref stopped that. He's going in there against Dominic Brazil and kind of an important, you know, strategic fight here to see who could be who could be next as an opponent for a title after we sort out the whole Anthony Joshua Tyson Fury thing. So that is certainly a fight to look forward to. Look, I'm not sure I know how good Valine is. Like we've seen good flashes. Yeah, and he his last fight didn't tell us a whole lot necessarily against Travis Kaufman either. But you're right. Like he looks like he's got really good fundamentals. He's tough. He has a decent chin. He's got, you know, good enough power. You can see what he did to Tyson Fury in that fight. I don't think he's the guy to be like, oh, he's, you know, he's right up there with the AJs and the Furies and the Wilders. No, I, I think he's a step below that, but that's still pretty good. And by the way, we've seen Brazil go up against, you know, Folks of that ilk and didn't do too well. Okay, he's not that level. You know, uh, Valine might be able to say, I'm a tier above that, and then, you know, entertain what's possible beyond that. I'm just sort of pointing out, he, I don't know that there's reason to think he's one of the very, very best heavyweights on earth, but um, against a guy like Brazil, who has only really suffered against the very, very best, a win for Valine here would be pretty good. Yeah, Brazil does come to fight. He may have been stopped by Joshua, by Deontay Wilder in vicious fashion, but he's big. He's 6'7", so this could be a, a fun one right here. We'll check that out. Uh, Luke, now all our MMA fans can stop rioting because we will set the stage for Las Vegas this Saturday, a UFC fight night card, uh, which has uh, maybe a lack of extreme depth. Luckily, this March 6th pay-per-view card is going to blow our doors in. But you know you got to see this heavyweight fight in the main event. Curtis Blades... The Black Beast, Derek Lewis. We're supposed to see it in November. Curtis Blades had a COVID setback. He's back. He's fine. He's ready to go. Uh, Luke, let's. we're going to get to some quotes in a second from these guys. But right off the top, uh, let's talk about the stakes here. We know John Jones has next after Francis and Stipe fight again. Is this sort of say who's next in the pecking order? Who's on deck to the on deck circle? You think so it's just going to be a weird situation if Francis ends up winning because Curtis Blades versus Stipe if they end up making that is actually pretty interesting because Blades was brought in by Stipe to help train him for I think some of the Cormier fights um, especially the early one uh, the, the first Cormier fight and so you know you're like wow or even before that I think they were training partners they trained together at some point to, to be quite clear I'm going to dead wrong myself I'm just pointing out that's a fresh matchup, and it's kind of interesting, and Blades might be able to win that if Stipe's a little bit over the hill or something like that. You know, there's ways where you could consider that to be an interesting fight, but if it goes right to Francis, Francis has beaten the guy twice. Now, Francis always has this issue of, well, what if you can get past the first or second round? Yeah, okay, that's still relevant if you're Curtis Blades, and I think that's a reason to not discount him, but it is going to be hard for the UFC to make that fight, so I don't know exactly what... I, I really believe that, like... Curtis Blaze's fortunes are somewhat determined by who wins between Jones and then the winner of Francis and Stipe. And so the good news for uh, Curtis is Jones, if he wins, that's a perfectly fine fight. Stipe, if he wins, perfectly fine. I honestly believe that if it's Francis, Curtis might have to do something else on top of getting a win here to get a title shot. But I guess we'll have to see. Yeah, the good news for Curtis Blades, if he wins, is he probably would be next after John. The bad news is it's going to take a while, Luke. And to his credit, he sort of said, look, it is what it is. I'm not going to be upset here if uh, 
if John Jones passes me because he might be the GOAT, he, you know, I understand business, I get it. He's willing to clean out the division if he has to to get there. Uh, but, Luke, he's on a, an incredible run. What is it, 9-1 and one in his last 10 fights? The only defeats at this highest level were to Francis Ngannou and were twice. Yes, both by knockout, but both in fights he claimed to learn a lot. And I think, Luke, what I loved about interviewing him this week on Morning Combat was he talked about... He learned a ton in that Volkov fight. That fight, if you remember, was a main event last year. Went five rounds. He dominated wrestling early. What, he set records for takedowns for heavyweights? I mean, it was insane. But he started to gas. And he said the fifth round, he was in near peril. He was in the deep end of the damn pool. He was overwhelmed by Volkov's uh, own toughness and conditioning. But he gutted it out. He bit down. He's realizing he's got to be at another level, stamina-wise, to try to wrestle somebody for five rounds. I mean, it may not be possible to wrestle somebody for five rounds at this level and he's sort of realizing that but we've seen really good uh stand up from him he's really rounded out his game well william hill has him established as as, as of this point as a minus 400 favorite over Derek lewis and um it's gonna be interesting look you gotta think on paper he's gonna try to take Derek lewis down and Derek lewis is gonna try to keep his back off the mat but if they're standing what do you think that's gonna look like it's interesting. If you look at the numbers here, they don't tell the story you think that they might. Um, now, partly this is a function of ground and pound, so these numbers are not exactly, um, it's not that they're not truthful, but they don't tell quite what you're asking, which is that if you look at strikes landed per minute for Curtis Blades, he's at 3.5, Derek Lewis just 2.6, and then strikes absorbed just 1.7 for Curtis Blades. He has a really positive, almost double differential. And for Derek, it's a lot closer. It's still positive. It's 2.6 to 2.09. Meaning that, you know, you have, with Derek Lewis, he likes to just exchange a little bit more. He'll take one to give one in ways that Curtis Blades is simply, if he gets hit, he might just resort immediately to wrestling. I tend to think it's kind of interesting. If you look at the numbers for his takedowns, too, because that fits into his striking, he's at nearly 7 per 15 minutes. That's maybe the highest I've ever seen. That's extremely high. That's more than two around. okay? That's fairly ridiculous so he's very very good for that but I guess the point I'm trying to make is um, I would really like to see this from him generally and I think it would serve him well here he doesn't have a tremendous reach advantage it's one inch so negligible but I do believe that if he had a good jab and good entry some of the things that we saw from Kamaru uh, Usman in his fight with Gilbert Burns that really just not only is a good thing to have in your game generally but specifically useful if wrestling is a really important key to the way you win, either by actually landing it or creating a credible threat to open up more of the striking, as you see with Frankie Edgar. It's something that Blades has been working on, but I think still has a little bit of a ways to go. This is a chance to showcase some of that, because if you can make Derek Lewis either fight off his back or uh, throw wild hooks where he's you know you're, you're nowhere to be caught because you're in and out all the way, and then you can pop him in the face and pop him in the face and it makes the takedown easier and blah, blah, blah. It's just going to carry over into so many different fights given the way you compete. So if he can do that, I think he'll win with ease. If not, I still think he wins, but it could be a lot dicier. Um, but with the striking itself, I don't think there's going to be a whole lot unless and until you see Curtis Blades with a functional uh, you know, uh, jab he can use in a lot of different circumstances. Yeah, he's certainly the better pure boxer in terms of jabbing and setting up, but obviously at betting odds mean nothing in a Derek Lewis fight because as we saw in the Alexander Volkov win, he can lose every second of the fight and still come back and land the big one when needed. Luke, I talked to Derek Lewis, we forget about this, back in November, days before this fight was canceled, remember he had the joke that uh, talking about that he was supposed to be an announcer on that Tyson Jones boxing card and said, I would do it, you know, because watch, we'll see... Uh, 
We'll see uh, Blades come out and get COVID, which he did. But here's a little nugget to throw back to on Derek Lewis talking about his strategy going in there against Blades. Saturday night, Curtis Blades, what's going to be the key to victory for you moving back closer to that belt? Even if you don't want it, even if you don't care about it, how do you beat Curtis Blades? Um, I wrestle, wrestle him to death, you know, take him down, just hold him and um, win by points. You know, that's my game plan. This, um, is, control this is not and, fact, not fact at all. Not even true. Not a true fact. Okay. Luke, I got two things to say about that one. How good did I look in that black uh, hoodie hoodless sweatshirt there in MK back in my more fit days too, Luke. Uh, he's joking, obviously, but let's talk about one thing. You said it, we said it. If Blades takes him down and can control him, you know, that could be the fight. That's why the odds are the way they are. Do we underrate, though, Derek Lewis's not technique on the ground, but his ridiculous brute man strength to get up when you take him down? He doesn't seem to panic there. Obviously, DC had his way with him, but uh, could this be a factor where maybe he gets taken down, but he gets back up quick? Yeah, people are limited in their ground and pound a little bit in the way that they employ it because because he's so big, they want to get on top of him and hold him down. But when you do that, um, there's just a reality. If you, if you ever like rolled with a big guy who's got a bit of a belly, they're actually much harder to control uh, because they can explode underneath. So you don't want to go to mount necessarily. You'll oftentimes just take side. And from side, there is good ground and pound, but you're a little bit limited if, you, if the person underneath even has a modicum of defense, uh, half guard, a little bit less so, but you get the idea. Pete, Pete, he has What he has underneath is, yes, he's very strong, but he has this awareness that if people try to advance, he can reverse. So you'll notice that they don't do a whole lot of it or they kind of, you know, they, they become a little bit um, uh, static in trying to hold it. And when they try to get outside of that boundary, he's like, I'm going to really open up on the guy underneath. He has, that's what creates openings. And he has very good ability to wait that out identify the opening, and then good timing to then use the thing you're talking about, which is the brute strength and some technique as well, um, to get up and stand. He's very patient. He's very perseverant. You might think you have him because you took him down a bunch. Maybe you landed some decent shots along the way. He's still very much in that fight. He's not deterred. He's not really... He conserves his energy that way. Yoel Romero strikes that way, less so in the last couple of fights. But while he got kind of like in the Rockhold fight, if you go and watch him, there's no two-way striking Right? He's just block, 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 roll, 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 block. And then when he's done blocking, he'll wait a minute or two and then just fire a shot. It's never two-way. It's never pull, counter. His his wrestling is a little bit like that. It's just defense, defense, defense until it's time to go, and then he's on his feet. And you have to be very careful about that. Look, I, I don't like that this is a five-round fight for Lewis. I still, even though he's on a three-fight win streak, it came against, you know, the Latifis, the Blog Boys, the Olenek. I mean, I'm not, you know, you know, it's a certain level. There's levels to this, right? I love those guys, but there's levels to this, and I'm not even sure he won the Latifi fight. He's 36. I still kind of stand by that he went all in for the Cormier fight, Derek Lewis. He gave everything he had, and it came up short. It is what it is. I always worried after that, would he become just a fighter chasing the purse? He tells you every time you talk to Derek Lewis, I don't care about the title. I don't care about the belt. I want the money. You know he's going to go in there and have a big punch. But if Blades takes this into the third, fourth, fifth round, I, I mean, he's going to wear him out, Luke. I, this is this is Curtis Blades' time. That's got to be your pick here, even though there's obviously certain danger. I like the matchup. Uh, do you have anything else to say about who might win this and why? It's Curtis's fight to lose. But we've seen many times guys have these opportunities to win against him. 
and he finds ways to take it from them later. So smart money is probably on Curtis, but it's very, very, very foolish to count out a guy like Derek Lewis, either early or late. All right, well, Curtis is rocking, uh, as he has the last few fights, a fantastic haircut. I encourage people to check out the Morning Combat interview I did with him the other day. A lot of deep stuff you wouldn't expect from this man, the way he thinks about things. But let's throw to his take here on, on his strategy in the barbershop ahead of this fight. All right, all right. I can see there that you're fresh from the barbershop and fly from the beauty salon there. We got some nice uh, nice little cut you got mm-hmm. going on there. Is this what? Talk to me about this pattern. Um, I'm really into history. A lot, really into Greek history, and um, it just it reminds me of of when I get this haircut. I feel like a Greek hoplite, like one of the the warriors, one of the the soldiers that would be in the front of the of the army with their spears and their their shields. A lot of their shields had this design, so awesome. it just it makes me. Feel like a Greek warrior, like I'm getting ready to go to battle. I love. Look, it makes it feel like Web Scream, our good friend over there. Well, <laughs> is he also going to voice ways for instructions? Um, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, I suppose. You know, listen, these guys are going to adorn themselves with tattoos and haircuts and clothing and everything else to to you know bring to life a certain self image. That's part of it. All right, look, this card, uh, it's not going to it's not gonna change your life at all. Our co-main event, women's bantamweight division, Ketlin Vieira against Yana Kunitskaya, who knows a lot, right, about Maheta's hammer. Um, any of these fights moving you here, Luke? You're so awful. Uh, you're the worst person in America. Um, she, not... The guy's got a tattoo on his chest, yeah. Yeah, he does. Uh, but that's, not, of course, not what you meant. Um, you know, it's okay. The Philip, Phil Hawes, uh, Nasser, Nasser Dean... Imovov fight uh, is okay. Arlovsky Aspinall is kind of interesting for heavyweight because Aspinall seems like he's a really top prospect, and Arlovsky's had a good run lately. So we'll see. And, you know, it's fighting smart. The one on the undercard that has my attention is the uh, Luis Pena Dracar close fight. That's going to be that's a tough fight for both guys. Um, that should be a hell of a one. And of course, Nate Landwehr, Julian Arosa. Listen, if you're a hardcore fan, this is something of a delight. If you're not, you know, this is there's very little to chew on here. Yeah, there is. Nate Land wears that that uh that weird southern guy with the who who yells a lot. So I'm interested Yes, he screams a lot. A, mm-hmm. Yeah, I can I'm interested to see if we can get a post fight interview out of that, Luke. Um you know what's kinda interesting? By the way, Arlovsky, who's forty two, is on a two fight win streak. I, I know. it tends to happen now and, and then. And you could argue um, a couple of the other ones he's had he should have won, like the one against um tied to Ivasa and stuff like that. There's been a couple where you're like, Okay, you you could make a strong case Arlovsky won that. Yeah, and he said at Media Day this week that he's just going to keep fighting. He sees no end in sight, Luke. Um, I kind of like, I, it's a little bit of a trashy fight, but I kind of like Alexi Olenek against Chris uh, Dawkins there out of Philly, the uh, the slugging heavyweight. I think this could be an interesting style matchup. Luke, I like, I don't know why, I just like Alexi Olenek fights. They're kind of fun. You know, he's got weird, uh, bad striking. Tw- and he Twitter, can- Twitter nerds love him. I'm okay with him. Uh, fight's okay. I won't say anything bad about it, but I won't say anything particularly good either. Okay. All right. I, I often talk to you about you behind your back like that as well, Luke. Okay. Yeah, uh, I'm that, sure you do. That's that card this weekend. Hey, big UFC news. Let's transition to this. Uh, Kamara Usman, your uh, unbeaten UFC welterweight champion, one of the pound for pound best in the world. This was interesting, Luke. He's willing to move up to 185 pounds and chase a second title in a second division if 
Israel Adesanya vacates this. Now, we have no indication that Israel might, but obviously Adesanya is moving up himself to take on Jan Blahowitz for the 205-pound title. Uh, the quote from Kamaru Usman, I'm not sure the, the uh, outlet, I did want to source whoever this is, was absolutely, if Izzy is willing to move up, well... He is moving up, but if he's willing to give up that belt and say, I don't want to have anything to do with that division anymore, then absolutely, I would entertain that thought. But on no account right now would I ever entertain going up to fight with Izzy. That's just not something I'm interested in. I've stated it over and over before. I'd rather there be two Africans with belts as opposed to one African with two belts. And you know, after March, there's going to be three Africans with four belts. So it's a good time to be African. Good time. End quote. Looks pretty big news here. I mean, it's speculation. It's, it's, it's saying maybe I would if this and this happens. What do, you th- what do you think about this man's potential chances of competing one weight class above? I think they're good. I mean, he's wiping out welterweights. You know, they're not really doing a whole lot with him. The Masvidal fight was uninspiring, but you look at what he's done in terms of the contenders he fought um, before he was champion, and then what he's done since being champion, and they can't really do a whole lot to this guy. Gilbert Burns, you know, Gilbert Burns, you know, rocked him maybe, but he didn't get knocked down. No one's held him down for a round, nothing. Like, he's been the dominant force in virtually every respect that matters anyway since he's been in the UFC against who he's fought, I suppose, right? He wasn't the very best when he first started, but he certainly became that. Um, so, yeah, if you can do that in your own weight class, you can do some of that a weight class above, even one that's kind of far apart. He's a big 170-er. I would imagine he could actually uh, you know, uh, do quite well. Now, how would he do against someone who had you know, really good takedown defense and was bigger than him in many ways, like a bigger frame, like... You know, I think Rockhold's at 205, but let's say Luke Rockhold was still 185. That's a little bit, I don't know. Um, but, you know, look at Robert Whitaker. He was a 170 and went up there and took the title. Like, how do I think Kamar Usman would fare against Robert Whitaker? You can pick Robert Whitaker, but you can't tell me that's not competitive. Of course that's competitive. So, um, I think he does extremely well. Is now the time? Eh, okay, we'll see. But do I think he could go up there and beat a top five guy? Yes. Yes, I do. Well, what's funny was attached to these quotes that were around where people making memes of a fight poster showing Usman and Robert Whitaker and saying, you know, how about this for the vacant middleweight title? Um, Look, obviously, if Adesanya does this, takes the belt from Blahowitz, and let's say he does it with ease, which, you know, I'm hearing a lot of people thinking he might, Luke. I mean, obviously, we're going to find out. But uh, I wonder if either he would say I'm done with middleweight at that point or if UFC would say to him, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, it's it's just hard to predict. Look, we've seen them when it comes to champ champs or people. With, we've seen them be so all over. Amanda Nunes can hold the belt, two belts as long as she wants, right? She's Every, the exception. DC, what was? What'd you say? She's the exception. Yeah, she can do it. To your, this is what you're basically driving at, and I think you're 100 percent right. Which is, dude, we know, we know for a fact that if Adesanya beats Blahovich again, non-controversially, whatever that means, like when he gets his hand raised, everyone realized that was the guy that deserved to win. If that happens, he's giving up one of the titles. Now, I don't know which one he's going to give up, but he's going to give it up because that's what happens every single time. If you're Amanda Nunes and you're the Bantamweight champion and you've cleared out that division and you've got a half a division at 145, you can bounce around and defend both. But to be an active champion, and Adesanya has not had injury woes to this point, so you know he might be a uh, maybe he could squeeze in one more at one of the weight classes. But basically, what it would mean is it's it's you, you cannot defend 
four fighting four times a year against the very best across two divisions without delay or injury or loss. It's simply not possible in modern MMA. Um, so I am imagining he's going to give one up. Is it the middleweight one? Maybe we'll see. Um, but that's that's a virtual guarantee. And I wouldn't have guessed that Usman could potentially have this kind of success at middleweight that we're speculating he might be able to uh, three, four fights ago, Luke. But to see the the commitment well, to the jab and becoming a better boxer and a more well-rounded striker, it's opening my eyes. And also, Luke, we've seen it time and again. We're seeing it with Michael Chiesa, but to a smaller degree. Uh, when you move up to a point where you're not cutting life or death for every cut, sometimes it does make you a better fighter, a more explosive fighter, a fighter ability uh, to fight harder and faster for longer. So uh, BC, that, that's pretty interesting. BC, wouldn't you agree? It used to be back in the day when we were you know, young bucks who were much thinner that if a champion more or less cleaned out the current slate of contenders, um, they would just wait for a new slate of contenders to emerge and then they would just stand a post and keep fighting. That was kind of how it went. And that might mean that certain chapters of the career were more exciting or more dominant or more interesting than others, but that was what happened. It was just wave after wave of not just contender, but generations of contenders. Silva and GSP are like you know the two examples that come to mind. Demetrius Johnson would be another. That's not how it goes anymore. Now what happens is if you wipe out that first wave, which takes some time and is not easy to do, then the questions go, should you move up? Instead of, let's just wait for another round of contenders to produce themselves, the first question is, hey, how would this person do at the weight class above? And so you're seeing that because Adesanya has basically done that and Usman has basically done that, more or less. And now people want to ask bigger questions. I think, Luke, personally, that comes down to a change in mindset from Dana because, as we know, he was against... I still think because we saw... BJ move up as the champion and fight GSP in the rematch for the welterweight belt uh, and get housed. I think that stained Dana's uh, willingness to want to do champ champ fights uh, to fight, you know, two champions together. And I think, you know, we saw him say no to Pettis wanting to do that with Aldo, but I think everything changed in 2017 when Rousey went away, Connor went away and suddenly UFC uh, was struggling for that short period in terms of finding really good pay-per-view main event fights that would attract people. I think that that changed. And obviously, you know, right before that, Connor had become the first simultaneous champ champ. I think that changed for Dana and showed him that, you know, there's a lot of interest in this. And maybe there's times where it went too far. Again, I didn't think Suhudo should have been allowed to fight for a title in second division. I didn't even like the idea of Dillashaw moving down at that point and trying it. But uh, it's where we're at, to, which where we're at today. And I got to say, like we, like we just touched on, if Usman's going to try it, it's interesting. I mean, Usman Robert Whitaker would be a hellacious fight. Uh, Luke, real quickly, Usman has opened as a minus 300 favorite should this Jorge Masvidal rematch come off, which we all kind of feel like it will. Uh, does that seem right to you? Yeah. It's just not a fight I like. If I'm, if I'm Jorge Masvidal, you take the fight for any number of reasons. The money, the prestige. It's winnable in the sense that Jorge Masvidal is very talented and experienced and has beaten really good fighters. So in that sense, you know, uh, he could win it. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. But at the same time, you know, Kamar Usman is, <laughs> you know, I don't, it's a, it, you, it would take a lot for, to finish off that guy. And uh, given all the other things that he is good at and how they performed the first time, even with the six days notice, it's just not a fight I like for Masvidal in the sense of, um, what are your chances for victory? But there are plenty of other reasons to take it, and I understand why he wants it. Luke, latest odds, just since we're in this conversation, on the Adesanya-Blahowitz fight is minus 270 for a favorite for Israel Adesanya. I, I think that's right. 
I think that's on par. That's on yeah. pace. That's, that's and again, remember, standard caveat, we say it every show, but it is worth reminding folks, the odds are also sometimes tweaked in one direction or the other to induce betting. So if it seems a little bit off to you, that might explain where you might be closer, depending on what that number is. Yeah, and if you watch Showtime's action documentary series on Vegas betting, uh, that guy, what was his name, Hack, the bald white guy, he'll, he's not afraid to go out there, Luke, and move the lines himself, okay? He's no. not afraid to make Vegas bend to his will with his uh, many huge bets. Nothing right, says Luke, secure uh, banking like manip- you know manipulating the market. Yeah, yeah. One day, you and I will be two old bastards sitting in a, uh, in a, in a, in not not a not a uh, touristy Vegas sports book, but one of those local ones off strip. Luke, you know, we'll be two old, divorced, and you know, we, you know, just fat. You know, we'll, we'll be sitting with that other fat guy who asked RJ about the uh, those peanuts. You know, Luke, if you haven't seen action yet, you got to see it, Luke. Okay, please. I was I, I was self. I've had folks go to Vegas, and you guys know, uh, I don't like Las Vegas. In fact, I can't stand it. Uh, especially the strip but not just the strip but i've seen people go to the strip and be like you know i saw some some old people gambling it was really sad i'm like let me let me explain something to you if you saw anyone gambling on the strip i don't care where it was that wasn't nearly as sad as someplace off strip (laughs) it's gonna be infinitely worse out there Luke, for for my first four or five years traveling to cover fights for uh for espn i had largely the only casinos i had seen were the high-level Las Vegas ones and the Mohegan Sun and Foxwoods in Connecticut, which, by the way, are very classy and very well done. Well, as we've said it before, we'll say it again. You step outside that casino bubble and you get to the uh, that next tier, Luke. Yikes, okay? You get to the $1 tables at the Hooters across from the MGM. Yikes, brother, okay? Bro, bro have you seen the poker chips at Excalibur? They got dirt on them. I mean, what, what are we doing here, people? Yeah, they should just torch the place it. and get the insurance money. I mean, this is a, this is a waste. <laughs> Uh, Luke, let's keep going. Uh, big news from a UFC mastermaking standpoint. March 13th, the UFC Fight Night main event will still have Leon Edwards in a welterweight test. We haven't seen him in forever. The man who will fill Hamzat Shemaev's shoes, though, on short notice. Mm-hmm. Bilal Muhammad. Luke, remember that damn name. Your thoughts on this matchup? Uh, love it. We talked about this on Wednesday's show, and what did we say? Certainly what I said. I think you were in large part agreement. Correct me if I get this wrong, but certainly for me, BC, I thought this was a great opportunity to get a fight uh, that's kind of a tune-up, right? Kamzat, we didn't know. That could either be a total bust or he's the real thing. It was what it was, though. That, that you know, They were going to make it. They, were, they, they seemed determined because it had been delayed a couple of times, and they still went forward with it. Um, but, you know, Leon Edwards sitting at five, it was like, What's the what's the appropriate fight? Now I want to be clear. I do not consider Bilal Muhammad to be a tune-up in the way that I was describing. He is what eight and one in his last nine. This is a guy, BC. I think you can appreciate this. He is absolutely daring to be great. I take my hat off to anyone who wants to make, who really wants to risk it all to get as far as they can with with a passion project in their life. And okay, my hats off to him. I do not think he is. Uh, some kind of sucker. He's ranked 13th, I think, in the division. So this is not a tune-up in that regular sense. But this is a fight, at least in theory, Leon Edwards sitting in the top five, sh- I think he's number three, should be able to win. So if you're if you're Edwards, you get to go back to action. You get to, I think any movement at the top is good for your career, especially when you've been off for two years. You get a credentialed, battle-tested opponent who is certainly uh, excited for this opportunity. I think the way they match up, it's going to be a little bit slow at times, but action-packed. The one with the more skill, I think, is going to have the more 
dominating opportunities. Certainly, I think that's probably going to be Leon Edwards, but it should be continuous action. And if you're uh, Bilal Muhammad, you're taking a risk because it's short notice, but you just had a fight. You look pretty good in it. He's bricked up. He's in shape. It's, it's a, I mean, you could leapfrog to the top of this division if you get a win. This is a great, great fight. Is it what we wanted? Is it the same, you know, glamour of the Chamaya fight, BC? No, it is not. But it is very good matchmaking. Yeah, it's a great opportunity for Bilal Muhammad to double down here. And look, if you're Leon, it's not what he wanted. But, you know, Luke, it's it's better than nothing. He's got to stay in our conscience. The best thing you can do, I say this in boxing, MMA, whenever you're avoided, uh, the best thing you can do is stay active and win, keeping our consciousness, right? And it, it, it just kind of puts you up in, up up higher in the echelon, even if you can't, uh, you know, get the best of the promoter and get the kind of fights you feel you deserve. And obviously this has just been bad luck lately for Leon Edwards. But love this fight. Can't wait. Luke, also UFC just tweeted out, uh, you know March 27th is going to be that UFC 260 pay-per-view, which is uh, fantastic. Francis Stipe, I believe Ortega Arlovsky is your co-main event. Uh, we've heard about Tyson, Tyron Woodley, Vicente Luque. Also, Luke, I wanted to get your thoughts on this for a comeback fight. Sugar Sean O'Malley against Thomas Almeida. Your thoughts? Uh, that's a great fight. Thomas Almeida. Didn't he look, for the most part, pretty good in his comeback? Or did he get washed in that one, too? I can't remember. Let me look this up here very quickly. But uh, He's for, riding a three-fight losing streak, yeah. and he's lost four or five. Luke, that fight you're talking about with Jonathan Martinez. Tinez, he lost yeah. a unanimous decision. It was a featherweight bout. Um, so this one ostensibly is back at 135 if he's fighting uh, Sugar Sean O'Malley. Yeah, I like it. I think both guys have a lot to prove. It's an exciting matchup between two aggressive, hard-nosed strikers. Although, in the case of Almeida, he's tried to get a little bit more polished. And certainly in the case of Sean O'Malley, he has shown flashes of, of total brilliance. So this is a chance to get right. Certainly, if you're Almeida, the 3 fight losing streak you're talking about. But even O'Malley, like what happened in that fight against which we didn't know at the time, but he not only lost to um, uh, uh, the gentleman from Ecuador, whose name escapes me now. I'm sorry. My, my, Chito. Chito Vera. Chito, yeah. He lost in a way where the narrative afterward, and I'm not necessarily saying this is fair, but it is prevalent, BC, and you know this as well as I do. There's been a narrative that has emerged that he is brittle, and then with his podcast or various other things he said through his YouTube channel or Instagram, he has fomented a little bit of fan backlash in his unwillingness to accept the integrity of the results against Chito Vera. Um, and so I think he's got some repairing to do maybe with the fans. Again, not with me per se, but what I'm sort of looking around and seeing. So there's a lot here about you know place in the division, BC, but also kind of you know where you stand with the wider uh, audience. And I think that's kind of a, something to pay attention to. Don't you feel like Thomas Almeida is too good to be having lost three or four? I know there's circumstances, there's time off, but uh, I was high on that fellow at one point, Luke. Uh, yeah, he was really good. But, um, you know, his best wins, Yves Jabouin, uh, the sort of the Canadian guy, the Haitian and Canadian guy, Brad Pickett, Anthony Burchak, and Albert Morales. Those are nice wins, but he doesn't have a signature win to my... Uh, I mean, Brad Pickett and Yves Jabouin were a little bit long in the tooth, even by those points. Um, and the KO of Brad Pickett was, you remember that one? I mean, that was like ridiculous. Uh, but still, like, where is he on the level? He has losses to Rivera, Font, and Martinez. He's got some work to do. Do you have an early thought on, uh, I mean, Tyron Woodley is, is completely seemingly in winner-go-home territory now. Do you have any early thought on what we're going to see out of this guy? I mean, I mean, it's the, it'll be theater, Luke. I mean, Luke is the wrong guy to F around with if your heart's not there, but, uh, 
yeah, I'm not going to know how to handicap that fight. I'm not. It's, it's hard to have any kind of confidence. Woodley's been such a zombie lately. Man, I was looking at this. You know, if you look at the age of welterweights when they had their peak, um, it's true that they're able to remain competitive a little bit later in their 30s, sort of the 36, 37-ish range. But Woodley's 38, I think nearly oh – no, actually, I think he's 40 or, or 39 anyway. I'll look it up here as I'm explaining myself. But the point being is I, I still think he's 38 years old, excuse me, but he'll be 39 in April. So, you know, just a, essentially a, a month or two away from when he's fighting next. He'll be 39 years old. This is outside the scope of what we know elite welterweights can do uh, in terms of age. We don't really have – I mean, what is the great amount of evidence – for welterweights competing at a high level at 38 years of age. If I had to ask you that about uh, heavyweight, you could give me a very good answer. You could tell me for a long time uh, how good you could get, and even some other weight classes potentially as well. You, it's hard to do at welterweight. It's extremely hard to do. Age will come at you like a dump truck. And so can he win this fight against Luque? I tend to think not. I think Luque's got really good takedown defense. He's active. He's got a great chin. He has significantly better boxing, and he's just got volume on his side. The problem with with Tyron is you probably, I mean, if you agree, let me know, but he just hasn't been, he doesn't do enough in fights. He's not throwing enough in fights. Um, and I, t- I, t- I tend to think that's a bad sign at 38 years of age. Yeah, he, he may not have the outside the cage baggage of an Adrian Broner, but he's been as lifeless when he steps up to the high level. So a uh, lot to check out in that one. Luke, our final topic uh, in the news cycle on today's show is a fight I can't wait for. Saturday on ESPN, Top Rank Boxing giving us a 130-pound title about that. Luke, it's one of those where the hardcores are just banging their drums telling you we may have another one of those instant all-Mexican war classics. You know, the Barrera, Morales, the Vasquez Marquez is on our hands. Miguel Burchell, who has just one defeat back in 2014. He's been the class of this 130-pound division. The Mexican will put his WBC strap on the line against unbeaten former featherweight champ Oscar Valdez. Uh, this is a, it's not daring to be great, but it's a ballsy move for Valdez to move up in weight and to go after a guy who is the guy. The odds makers really, really like Burchelt though. So somewhat alarmingly high. Uh, he'll have a five and a half inch reach advantage, but Luke, there's a lot of indications that this could be special. Uh, I caught up with Oscar Valdez this week because, uh, you know, my hardcore heart is beating hard. Let's check out his thoughts ahead of this clash. The expectations are through the roof. Do you have those same expectations that you could be one half of an instant action classic here? Well, definitely. Like I said before, every time you got two Mexican fighters inside the ring, there's always a good show, a good boxing fight. And I think with Alacrán style and my style, I think it has all those ingredients to be a great, great fight. So I'm going in there physically and mentally prepared for it. I'm well prepared. I'm, I'm I'm very excited because I grew up watching. I grew up watching wars. I grew up watching Eric Morales, Marco Antonio Barrera. I grew up watching Israel Vasquez versus Rafael Marquez, and of course, I watched I watched all those fights. Every, when every time there's two Mexican fighters, like you just mentioned, Salido Vargas, uh, Michael Alvarado versus Brandon Rios, Oscar De La Hoya versus Fernando Vargas. You know, these are all great fights. They all have something in common. They're true Mexican fighters who go in there and give their all. 
Luke, uh, you you were having a little fun with me over text this morning. You're doing the little JMMA bit saying, Risen, what? I ain't watching that bullshit. Uh, but, Luke, I will encourage you after you check out Adrian Brona this Saturday on uh, Showtime to DVR this shit and check it out. Uh, uh, Valdez, do you remember his fight against Scott Quigg a couple years ago, a featherweight title fight? He was yeah. ahead on the cards. Quigg broke his draw, and they went to war. Uh, this one could be a very good one, friend. Okay? Listen, okay, I wasn't doing the bit. I was not doing the bit that I was saying that, you know, nobody should care. Uh, but, in fact, no one does care. We, j- us watching that clip right there was one of the five views that video got, which I do not blame you. I'm just saying our audience absolutely does not care about that fight. That, that video has less than 1,000 views <laughs> Even as I'm talking Look, right now, looks like so. I, could, I could twist my nipple in front of a camera for ten seconds to get more views than that interview. Yes, did. I literally could. I could easily do that. So I'm just pointing out the fight may be tremendous. I take your judgment about that seriously, and if you say so, you are almost certainly right. However, our audience doesn't give a fuck. That's all I was saying. All right. Well, they should. Uh, Burchell has beaten all of the uh, you know the Mexican action heroes of late the last few years in this division, the Mickey Romans, Francisco v- Bandito Vargas twice. Uh, Luke, the deal with Burchell is he's tall and long, and he can brawl, but he's sort of the polished brawler in a group, in a weight division where you get a lot of Mexican brawlers and a lot of men in there. He's the guy who can has the stiff jab, can light you up with the co- combinations. Valdez is smaller. He's going to have a reach disadvantage, but... He's got quick hands, and he lets them go. It's going to be a friggin' war, okay? Wow, Luke. I may need one of those MK ball condoms. This is this is getting me jacked up right Everyone now, okay? needs MK ball condoms. You understand? All right, all right. We'll check back next week when we got the fight of the year happening there uh, as well. All right, Luke, those are your uh, five topics of this fantastic week, and hopefully everybody's checking out uh, the fine MK interviews beyond what we teased today. Luke, your Corey Sandhagen uh, chat was very interesting. He's a smart man right there. Loved that. Enjoyed that. I've got Virgil Ortiz Jr., one of the uh, rising welterweight studs in boxing, AB, all that, and then some tall, pale, and handsome. It's BC. It's time to transition, Luke, into the segment each week where we are willing to call out our own faults, (laughs) listen to the criticism of others, and sit directly on top of that L it's called dead wrong. Do you think that there's a, uh, a wild bear attacking my daughter in the room? Yeah, next door? Look, I, I was going to ask, but you, you once told me that, that <laughs> all the Latin people in your life, you love them, but they're very loud. They have parties outside your door, you know, listen, um, at least with these, the, the ones that I know, volume control is not a priority. I swear to God, I tell them every show, I'm having a show in here. I need you guys to be quiet. And then that's when they invite the New Orleans brass band to the living room and just have Mardi Gras on the fucking, I mean, it's just, it's un, it's every time. And and then, by the way, after the show is over, you don't hear the shit. It's only during these hours. It's unbelievable. Okay. How close are we one day to, to to Abuela breaking through the door like the Shining style and be like, here's Johnny, and you're like, like we, we talked about this. You know what I mean? Come no, on. it's going to be, dude, I have to lock the door now. My daughter has learned how to turn knobs. She just barges into rooms like the fucking Kool-Aid man these days. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's hopeless, Jackson, bro. I got to I gotta put this shit on another floor, and then even then, they would have you know Michael Flatley and the Riverdance crew come <laughs> over and do their best to uh, disrupt me with you know uh, rhythmic clogging. Jesus, fuck. Uh, Luke, I wanted to hit a preemptive dead wrong that never made it into our list this week. Do you remember uh, Monday's show when I said, look, you know, Usman's been so dominant at welterweight. Habib 
isn't impressed by any lightweights. Hey, maybe Habib should do what so many other great champions have done, you know, toward the end. Dare to be great, try to whatever, you know, all that. Luke, I got a ton of DMs that said, dead wrong, bro. Habib's already said it a million times. They're both managed by Ali. They won't fight each other. They're brothers. Luke, it's not that I didn't know that. It's just that guess who else used to be brothers, Luke? John Jones and uh, Rashad Evans, right? I mean, Kamaru and Gilbert Burns have helped each other and were virtually brothers inside their gym. Sometimes, Luke, you suspend that. Like you and I, Luke, we're we're brothers, but you cross me, I'm coming, Luke, okay? I'm coming, bro. All right, bro. I'm not trying to fuck with you. Do your thing. All right. All right. So I'm not dead wrong on that as Luke gets very upset at you people. You're the people that are largely dead wrong. Here we go, Luke. Uh, Let's start off with this. Uh, Here's our viewer jumping in and saying, the BBC said on Monday, when Usman and Colby touched gloves. I was obviously referencing the whole idea that when they fought, right? When they touched gloves. And the quote from our listener is, hey, dude, they never even touched gloves before the fight. All right. All right. That's... That's I fair, I guess. That's fair. Yeah, I guess, I guess I'm dead wrong for that one, okay? Yeah. All right. Okay. I'm, they, they they didn't touch tips either, right? Then There was no takedowns, okay? I, you didn't see me saying that, though, all right? Great. Uh, let's go to dead wrong number two. Currently, it's uh, Attack BC Day. Uh, BC says you can't find any Jimi Hendrix songs on YouTube because the music is, quote, protected by the family and quote gets taken down instantly not sure exactly what bc's talking about here there's literally a Jimi hendrix youtube page for his music and on top of that even unofficial releases are on youtube for many of his songs and live performances love the show by the way do you want me to pull a luke thomas and turn it back on you i'm not dead wrong here okay is there an official Jimi hendrix channel as this guy mentions yes but there's a handful like six studio tracks on that channel. Yes, there's a bunch of random live songs and interviews, but unlike every other artist not named Bob Dylan, um, you can go on YouTube and find their complete discography, full albums grouped together in their own thing. I know this game. Okay, please. I, I, I listen to music on YouTube constantly. Hendrix, like Bob Dylan, are one of those very protective ones where you can't just type in full album and get it. Sometimes they get posted by others. They get taken down fairly quickly. So uh, am I technically dead wrong? No, I'm not. Okay? So back up. All right? <laughs> Friday. You, fe- you see how it feels, BC, to be yeah. misrepresented? I mean, seriously. Uh, by the way, they they took Jimi Hendrix off the Deep Tracks channel on Sirius. He has his own channel, Luke, but it's app only. Why does Sirius do that? You got app only channels, but not in the car. I don't get it. Um, they're just trying to drive um, usage in that direction. That's all. All right, all right, Luke. What is your favorite Sirius channel? Um, are you a lithium guy, Ozzy? I used at? to be a lithium guy. I um, you know, uh, what's it? Boneyard is the new metal one, or something like that. Yeah, whatever the name of that one is. I know you're not big on like yacht rock, Cat Stevens, no. The Bridge. You know the, the yeah. I don't drink. I don't. I don't drink uh, White Claw. No. Okay. All right. Hey, let's get a dead wrong for Luke in here. Uh, the song that Luke whistles shave and a haircut two bits not two pence as luke sta- uh, stated so luke your whistling uh lyrics are dead wrong this week all right fair enough that's a, that's a you know what i feel like that song is so popular that and it's just like a cultural institution that you actually don't even need to know the words yes. but if you're gonna sing the words i guess you got to get them right so that's fair 
Luke, do you remember when we had that marathon uh, session Wednesday of fan submissions and nearly uh, drove away our entire audience and killed yes. our own enthusiasm for this show? Yes. Remember that French guy with the uh, with oh my the God. Uh, <laughs> the HR? He, he's the guy who sent us evidence of him committing fireable HR offenses. <laughs> he had the the snooker cue between his legs, and he had like five yeah. women on the end of it that were his students. Um, this is from him. He's got a PS at the end about that. But let's start on his main thing. Tough Luke. Tough week for Luke. Luke with lyrics. Here's what he says. Um, it's a very minor dead wrong, but when Brian and Luke riffed on the Beatles song with a little help from my friends, Luke picked up the verse perfectly from Brian until the last word. He said, I'll try not to sing out of tune when it's really out of key to rhyme with the really? me in the previous line. But he is forgiven, as I am extremely proud to have finally made the show with my Stooker tip-to-tip effort. Luke, I'm going to pause it here before getting into his uh, breakdown on that. Luke, I knew you were dead wrong in the moment, but didn't want to pull Luke Thomas and jump in and be like, Hey, bro, it's actually, uh, uh, you know, so. All right. It's key I, and not tune? Yeah, I, I, I didn't know so. I, I, I let you have your, you know, yeah, it's good. It's, All right, it's well, there you go. That's fair, I guess. Luke, do you think that... Um, Joe Cocker's cover of that uh, Beatles track is the greatest cover in rock history. It's if it's not, it's the it's number two. You know, it's that, mean, that it's that good. Yeah, that live performance at Woodstock that Joe Cocker did of that song is he takes everything inside of him, Luke, and takes it out of his body and just throw it's art, bro. It's like me every week on morning. It's just you know. Yes, you're Joe Cocker. Yeah, that's right. Hell of a last name, right? Yeah, okay. Uh, Luke, let's get back to this fellow here. So here's what he said. Um, I'm extremely proud to have finally made the show with my snooker tip-to-tip effort. I teach English to French students, and thanks to Brian's comments about me, they are now all trying to get the expression, quote, to Weinstein the crap out of these girls into an essay. (laughs) P.S. In the photo... They were actually former students, age 25, which ob- obviously makes it more mature and acceptable. Cheers, guys. I genuinely love the show and can't wait for the documentary. David Appleton at Appy Fatathon on IG, I believe. Uh, so uh, is that make it okay, Luke? I'm pretty sure the rule isn't like, hey, after 25, you can just do to what you want. <laughs> With women, yeah. I don't think that's the rule, bro. But um, well, no, he's listen. saying it's it's consensual. It's not like a you yeah. know. It, it obviously is. It obviously is. We're having a go. We're just you know we're just uh, we're having some fun with it. But it is. It's not something I would ever advise that we try to imitate in our careers here stateside. BC, yeah. if that makes sense. I mean, he's the French Bill Cosby. Give him his due, Luke. Right? Have a pudding <laughs> pop with him. Right? I mean, it's great. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. uh, We got one more dead wrong. On Wednesday's show, BC said that Sergey Kovalev was almost winning that light heavyweight bout with uh, Canelo Alvarez that was stopped in the seventh round. But Canelo actually stopped him in the 11th. But fair to BC because at the time of the stoppage, the scores were 95-95 and 96-94 on the other two cards, I'm assuming, for Kovalev. But even if they were for Canelo, it's showing you that Kovalev was very much in that fight had he not been knocked out. And uh, I believe I, th- I may have had it even as well at that point. But uh, that's that. Luke, I sent you a text that was interesting because we spent Wednesday talking up Saul's dong saying, you know, Canelo is that guy, by the way. And we mentioned the comments about his trainer, Ed Reynoso, saying no more light heavyweight, right? A bridge too far. You're giving up too much. 
Kevin Ioli interviewed Canelo this week for Yahoo Sports, and he tweeted out a bit from that conversation in which Canelo said when they fought Kovalev, they also reached out to your guy, Artur Bieterbeev. You better believe it. Luke, that's, that's man stuff right there. Did I not say that that was an exciting fight? I mean, this was not the – again, if you read it, it's about what he was going to do uh, if the Kovalev thing hadn't worked out. So you know, it's not what they're contemplating next. But I'm just saying, listen, that's an unfair fight to ask of a guy who doesn't have uh, grand ambitions. But if you're that good at 168, which I tend to think he might be, and that's the guy at 175 who makes it interesting, I don't think it's the craziest thing in the world. Turns out it wasn't. They, he said, uh, according to Ioli's interview, it said they said that uh, Better Beef was busy at the time and had another fight scheduled or whatever. So, uh, wow, wow, Luke. Okay, With that, I believe dude, he had wouldn't the, that uh, be am- dude, I, And if he goes out and he cleans one sixty eight, I, I mean, I don't know what the, what the world will be like at that point. But I'm just saying, if he manages to do that in short order, dude, that is such an interesting fight. That is such an interesting fight. Luke, uh, we we ran through, we blew through this show today. What the hell happened? Um, I don't know. You want to touch tips on the way out here? <laughs> no, but we have to give our tips. Yeah, we, it's the final segment every Friday. We should have done homework this week. We don't. Do and also, I have anymore. to see who the the SWAT team is, who's making noise in the room next door. I got to go check on my house to see. You know, hey, why is the SWAT team in a New Orleans brass band and Godzilla <laughs> versus King Kong all taking place just outside my door? Oh, hey, look, it's Pat Militich. There's another insurrection here in DC. This is great. <laughs> Uh, Luke, every Friday, what we do is we uh, we we go we we do just the tip, right? We give a uh, recommendation, advice, a little tip of the cap to someone out there in the world. Luke, you have producer credits. Please go first. Well, I had mine's labeled kind of wrong because I want to change it here with an audible last minute. I was going to recommend some things to watch for the weekend if you're looking for some decent movies. Um, I'm going to say it's from Netflix, but really what I'm going to do is I'm going to switch it up and give you one from Netflix and the one to check out outside of it. But basically, if you want, if you're looking for something kind of interesting to watch, um, two things come to mind. On Netflix, I'll start there. It's a, I think it's an Indian movie. I'm not sure where who exactly made it, but it's all Indian cast takes place in India. But it's called White Tiger, and it's a story of this guy. I won't give it away, but the basic premise is it's a story of a guy who's born a servant um, to a uh, rich family in India, but the young parts of that family all have come back from the United States trying to reestablish a life in India, and they treat him like shit, and he wants to um, get his revenge and move past them. And it's, it's a story about how he goes about doing that. And it is very predictable until the very end, and it's such a holy shit twist. You're like, wow, that is... That was way darker than I thought it would be, but it's kind of like almost like a dark comedy at first. Highly recommended. Go see White Tiger. The one that I would recommend outside of that is a movie called Assassins. It's a documentary. BC, do you remember when the half-brother of the dictator of Kim Jong-un, the North Korean dictator, his half-brother Kim Jong-nam was assassinated in the Malaysian airport in Jakarta? So these two women come out of nowhere in broad daylight and rub VX gas on his face. The same gas, by the way, from The Rock, the movie. They rub it on his face, and he basically dies an hour later at the airport in broad fucking daylight. And it turns out what this documentary shows is that if you just paid attention to the news a little bit, you would believe that those were North Korean assassins who uh, killed him. And 
there's a debate about that because those two women who did it, um, they were both on Japanese game shows doing pranks like that long before this thing ever took place. Prank shows where you go and do something to a stranger are apparently a hugely popular thing in, in on television in that part of the world. Uh, yeah, and you're talking about those Asian women, jackass, basically? Something like that, yes. And those two women claimed that they had, and they had showed all their receipts and everything, of having just worked with who they thought were Japanese producers. Uh, it turns out maybe four of them were North Korean spies. It's a hugely complicated tale of, were these girls murderers, or were they set up to murder someone by these outside henchmen? And the story of the justice uh, system in that part of the world, as these women move through it, uh, it is one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. It is fantastic. Wow. You look at the ratings on Rotten Tomatoes, which take for the grain of salt, PC, 98%. 98%. I mean, it's crazy high reviews. You can't go wrong. So check out Assassins. Luke, I'm typically uh, 12 to 13 years behind in watching movies that are critically acclaimed and really good. I saw The Hurt Locker the other night. Damn, that was great. I should have had that in my War Rankings movie. You I'm like telling that, you, there's, that a, there's a bunch you've missed. You still haven't seen Letters from Iwo Jima, have you? No, no, no. Yeah. Um, I still, That's a tough so I watch. Also watched, I also watched No Country for Old Men, and while uh, it was like well-acted and, and you know, edgier seat, that ending, I didn't love it, Luke. Did you watch it? I did. I did think Javier Bardem was creepy, though. Yeah, he won. I can't believe he won the uh, Best Actor award for that. Uh, he was he was very creepy. Yeah, yeah, that that's that's uh, that's wild. All right, Luke. Uh, my tip is a very interesting one here. I typically uh, tip you guys out music wise, and then get made fun of for my tastes and choices. Although obviously, I'll have the last laugh because I understand art uh, deeply at this moment, Luke. Um, it's not, uh, it, Luke, historically it happens a lot, and artists will rebrand themselves, sometimes to the level of taking on an alter ego. Do you remember the 1967 Beatles album Sgt. Pepper Lonely Hearts Club Band and the famous cover which showed almost a funeral for the Beatles and launching a new sort of character for themselves? Garth Brooks had Chris Gaines, right? I don't, I don't know about that crap, but uh, Beyonce had Sasha Fierce. Luke, there's a musician out there that we have known, at least for some time, uh, as producer Jay Aaron. That, you know, I don't want to screw the pooch too much because the 2.0 MK documentary is close, close to being finalized. And you may see it next week if you play your cards right. But I will shout out a, a friend of the program here. Jay has rebranded his own music career. And you can follow this account on Instagram at Pennington James Music. Um, sounds very Remington Steel for my taste. But Luke, he'd been teasing it all week on that account. And Jay has launched his cover of Hallelujah. I believe the old Leonard Cohen track that, of course, Jeff Buckley famously <laughs> oh covered. Oh, my God. Uh, Manich, can you we, can, can own, we go? You, oh, 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 sorry, I don't want to tell you. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, that, that's guess. as much. That's as much pub as that album's gonna get. 
Oh, apologies for the double track on the audio there. Uh, I'm going to guess, Luke, that uh, that award-winning director, Jay, also directed that video. By the way, it looks like, remember on Full House when Uncle Jesse had the video of that uh, Beach Boys cover, Forever, and they had like the full music video in the middle of the episode? This looks a lot like that, right? Where he's holding up the naked baby in the bed in Mexico. Um, Luke, this gentleman is, he's ambitious, Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. See this image with his mouth open? Please Photoshop this. Oh, People. stop that. Please no, fo- no, 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 no. No, no tongs. Please stop, stop, Luke, stop. I didn't say you had to put... Why did your mind go there? That's on you. I just said... I saw yeah, some meme the other to- day that that suggested every time we yawn that a ghost sticks their, their dong, right? Uh, yeah. Just to F with us, Luke? I don't know about that. Anyway, Luke, um, I listened to it. I wanted to clown our friend... He hit the, he hit the high note, brother. He went for it, right? He he shot the thirty footer, and I think he got all net, Luke. No, is it like Cher, where they literally had to uh, digitally reframe her uh, what what octave she could hit because she had no vocal range? <laughs> well, that was my first thought that there may have been some studio chicanery going on, some double triple tracks, maybe some auto tune here. But however, he pulled it off wearing Spanx underneath his clothes. Look, he looked nice in there and he hit the high note. I, I don't know. Maybe this is a creative turn for Jay under this new persona. Either way, I'm subscribing. I'm here for Pennington James. Look, what would it take for you with your stringent definition of what's art and what's not and how well you police this show getting a live performance one day from Pennington James on this platform? Hard pass. Well, Jay has a lot of free time these days, so hopefully he does well in this. Uh, Dude, when he was segment. singing Hallelujah, that's what that's what everyone does at home when you tell them it's a no Jay Friday. Yeah, yeah, indeed. But hey, Jay, I got love for you, just not on this show. All right, Luke, that is the show for this week um, and for this Friday. Uh, enjoy the fights this weekend, folks. UFC AB returns on Showtime. Uh, the aforementioned All-Mexican War on ESPN uh, should be a good weekend of fights. I'm going to check that ish out. Uh, good luck to everybody clearing out the snow, getting the power back, all that good stuff. Hopefully your heat is on, your water is on. Check out Showtime. 30 days. Hey, look, this weekend is is a great time to start it. You're going to get a fun triple header this Saturday. Adrian Broner, that must-see heavyweight co-main event that should be pretty interesting. And then you get all Bellator all the time. How about your first six months? Four ninety-five a month for new subscribers. Not a damn bad deal. This, these fights could have gone on pay-per-view, Luke. This Bellator tournament, but they put it on Showtime for you for four ninety-nine. So check that shit out. Uh, also, of course, the documentaries, the movies, all that good stuff. Uh, I want you in our merch. Uh, the the second launch. I don't know if it's ever coming. International shipping. I don't know. A lot of lies being told here, apparently. But what you can do right now is go to store.show.com and wear that fantastic green hoodie that Luke, my wife, uh, Bill from Bill and Jen's RV Adventures. There, everyone's rocking this. It's, it's, it's the hottest thing. Luke, that dude who's moving to Alaska. I, I started following him on on Instagram. Remember that guy from Wednesday? Mm-hmm. With the long hair from shop class. That the one guy who's on the rocking. the one who's on the run from the law because he. Uh... <laughs> May or may not have been a capital insurrectionist. <laughs> because he may or may not have joined David from France in uh, snookering those women. Uh, yeah, so he'll be, he's an outlaw, but he looks great in that hoodie as well. And uh, uh, that, that, I think that's it, Luke. Like, subscribe, um, 
Luke, do you have any uh, any plans this weekend? You're going to, you know, take the wife out on a date maybe? Where the fuck are we going to go? We don't eat indoors and it's snowy. <laughs> where, where are we going to go, bro? Uh, I tried to rent a movie theater. You know how hard it is to like, you oh, know. Oh, I get... did. I did that. Uh, you, two how week, how two was ago. that? Yeah, my ki- my kid's 13th birthday. So our local movie theater had options of uh, current films and then they had like Raiders of the Lost Ark and Avatar and some old school ones. Uh, we rent. It was great. We rented it. It was probably about fifteen of us in, um, you know, the comfy chairs that that stretch out. It was one of the smaller theaters there at the Lowe's Theaters in Plainville, Connecticut. And we we saw uh, that that new Grandpa movie with Robert De Niro. Uh, it, it's like a family comedy. It's mm-hmm. um, it was. Look, I'll tell you what. It's weird, and I really, really, really missed it. Like being there. Mask on, but you know, snuck in the food, snuck in the snacks. Um, everybody sat a seat apart from each other. I missed it, Luke. I really missed it. I really miss it big time. I was going to do it, but uh, it's hard to get a time where someone can watch our kid for as long as we need them to. And uh, look, bring her, so, just bring her, bro. Well, the point was to have like a speed to be semi romantic for just my wife and I. Oh, um, yeah, okay, other, okay, yeah, yeah. But the other part is they don't like none of like literally none of the theaters in DC are doing it. So I have to go to Virginia, which is not the end of the world, but it just now adds time for the commute. So wasn't able to do it. But I'm hoping one of these weekends I'm going to try it. We'll see how it goes. I'd like to see you rent that out, put rose petals down, some maybe some firearms down on the floor to remember your first date and just, you know. <laughs> right? Listen, nothing gets a first date going like firearms. You understand? Yes. Uh, Luke, uh, it's going to be a busy but very fun next couple months for us. You know, Bellator on Showtime, uh, a lot of big fights coming. I, I'm I got a vacation coming up in April, Luke. So I'm sorry to leave you high and dry, but uh, yeah, great perfectly time to be timed. Alive. You timed it really well. Yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, we love all our people out there. Thank you for investing in us as we continue to share our art with you. Uh, for Manich Gaff, Mikey Morms, the great crew at CBS Showtime and Malka, thank you very much. And please, with all sincerity, thank you to everybody out there. Uh, uh, hang on, hang on. It's been a tough week in a lot of a lot of areas this this time, and I'm, I don't even know what's going on in Australia or Europe. But uh, we love you all. Thank you for patronizing us as we, um, as we just really spray it right, spray it all over the screen. It's art. Is it art? Are we art? Is art art? That's really the question. Uh, for Luke Thomas, I am Brian Campbell. Okay, uh, mentioning here all of your hosts staying loyal. Okay, because they they rarely do. And two additional words here for you. We out.